All right, so today we are looking at the second half of Jesus' interaction with the woman at the well. So we kind of cut it off halfway last time, and we saw the, the content of what Jesus actually brought to this woman, right? So he condescended into her world of shame and sin and impurity, and as the Messiah, he offered her uh, this newfound relationship with the Lord, a relationship where he could, she could uh, directly, personally, in every time and in every place, worship and delight in God's presence. And that, that, that worship and that relationship would then well up inside of her and become uh, living water, springs of life that would overflow within her. And so that was what she was offered. And today we're going to see, wait, how does that how does that overflow express itself? How does it flow out into the world? What does it look like for, uh, for the people around her to interact with someone who, is, who has been changed in this way? And we're going to see, uh, first, we're going to see the contrast between the disciples who really haven't been filled with that water yet versus the woman at the well who has. And we're going to see Jesus and his relationship with what just happened. How does, he, uh, how does he receive this, this woman, and how does he... What happens in him as he's ministering to her? And finally, we're going to see this, uh, this universal call for all of us to enjoy uh, the blessing of obedience and glorifying God and the life that's found in it. So, all right, so here's, here's kind of the summary. With this new life that we found in Christ... We are called to be sustained by more and more life-giving obedience to God. That with the new life, we then pour out obedience that God has prepared for us. And that is life for us. That is life for other people. And it is glorifying to God. So let's see how that uh, plays out in our passage, John 4, 27 through 42. So we'll read that, and then we'll pray. Look at our passage this morning. So, John 4, 27. Jesus just said that he is the Messiah, invites her to the relationship. Just then, his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek, or why are you talking to her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. The disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest. Look. I tell you, lift up your eyes and see, the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, that sower and reaper may rejoice together. So here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. 
Many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would help us to know the the full riches of life in Christ. And Lord, we would know the life that comes from repentance and obedience. Lord, that uh, the life that is found by faith would express itself in works and obedience and love for you and glory to your name. Father, we thank you for the riches that you prepared for us. Would we walk in them? the glory of Jesus. In his name. All right, so let's start with this contrast. Okay, so the disciples compared to the Samaritan woman, the disciples who are still hungry, and the Samaritan woman who is overflowing and satisfied. Verse 27. Just then his disciples came back and they marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? All right, so disciples, they are shocked to see that Jesus is talking with a Samaritan woman. And once again, to understand the the culture of the day, all right, at best, people thought talking to a woman was a waste of time. All right, and they, they said things like, why would you talk to a woman when you can read the Torah? There's much better things to do. They're going to get a lot more out of it. You know, let's just not do that. All right, second. Uh, at worst, what Jesus did could be construed as a sin. That to teach the Torah to a woman was equivalent to teaching her to sell herself. That, that was the level of like, this is an abomination that she should even know these things. Why would he be talking to her? All right. Or even worse, right? We talked, this is a Samaritan woman. This could be an act of, of defiling that she is, she is walking pollution, and to, to interact with her at all is to make yourself unclean and to interact with idolatry. Right. Those are the, the evil, terrible cultural ideas of the time, but they were real, and that is, that is the practiced interactions that were the norm. Right. Now the disciples... They see Jesus, their teacher, their leader, completely flouting all of those social conventions. All right, he doesn't care about any of them. He's, he's, he's trampling all over them. And you'd expect that if you're actually following Jesus, that they would maybe imitate that or seek to understand it. Or at least ask him a question about it. All right, but what do they do with it? Nothing. All right, first first of all, they don't ask, what do you seek? So that would be asking the woman, like, what, what, what do you want? All right, why don't they ask that? Because they don't want to talk to a woman. They're not ready to condescend. They're not ready to step down. They're not willing to break the social norms and defile themselves. So, of course, they don't ask that. But even worse, they don't even ask Jesus why he did it. 
If they did, what would he say? He might say something like that the, the plan of God is to reconcile all people to himself. He might say that uh, the kingdom is for such as these. The kingdom is for the, the outcast and the lowly and the worthless in the eyes of the world. He might go so far as to say, you know what, this woman is, is what you must become to enter the kingdom of God. That she alone understands. Or he could say uh, that the women, even Samaritan ones, in his kingdom will be elevated to the position of firstborn son with all of the rights and, and powers that the world is being turned upside down. He could tell them that Jesus isn't defiled, he, he cleanses. That as things would try to defile him, no, he empowers and, and cleanses them. He could say that there is greater glory in service or condescension or humility. But they don't ask. Now, why do they not ask? It doesn't say. The assumption is that they don't ask because they don't want the answer. They don't want to know why Jesus did this because then they might have to. And they're not ready to do that. We talked last week about uh, broken cisterns and how we all go to certain places to, uh, to be filled up, whether they actually work or not. And these disciples, they, uh, they've gone to the cisterns of glory and honor and social acceptance, and that's where they find life. They're looking for a kingdom. They're looking for honor. They're looking for victory over the enemies. They are not looking to fraternize with idolaters and the weak, and the unclean. And they're not ready to do that, and they don't want reasons to. That's why they don't ask. And that's where we feel convicted, because we see Jesus do these great things. We see his, like, his love for the weak, his love for the, his, his like, great grace for the sinner, his movement towards the defiled and the outcast. And I think we like to play ignorant. Like, oh, maybe we're not supposed to do that. Or maybe that's just for Jesus. Or I really love that Jesus is like that. But I don't want to be like that. That would ruin my life. All right, that's where, like, They're still, they're still stuck. And they are hungry and they are dry. And you can see them attempting to follow Jesus but falling short. Now, let's compare that then to the Samaritan woman. All right, so Jesus offered her to be filled with living water. And we wonder, okay, will she receive it? Will she receive it? She's just, and think, think, just to summarize what, what just happened, if some of you weren't here last week. So Jesus, he, uh, he offers her this water that would give her life, and to help her receive it, because so she's like kind of off in the, the physical, not getting it, he shows her the depth of her sin. 
and he puts right before her eyes just what a sinner she is, that she is desperately running after the approval and relationships with men, and that it has left her empty and dry and ashamed. Then they talk about how she's actually not even worshiping in the right place. She's part of a nation of idolaters who have historically gotten all of their relationship with God wrong. And she, she, he calls her to sit there. And then what does he do? He then opens the doors wide open and says, in spite of all of that, I'm going to give you this relationship with God through the Spirit. Even you may be so cleansed and so united to God and so part of this, this unity with him that you can worship every second of every day, that you can always stand in his presence, that you can ever be filled with the joy of worshiping him no matter what. This, this beautiful picture of acceptance and forgiveness and purity that's found through the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And this is her response. So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went to the town and were coming to him. This is the picture. Think of Nicodemus who left just like blown out of the water. and what a, what a difference. This has given her crystal clarity. And we see the proper response of repentance. Repentance. All right, so when someone actually hears the gospel and believes it, truly, their life of, of focused on sin and death it's, they turn from it. And they turn from running after that sin, now running after Christ. Now, how do we see that here? John, John gives us a little hint. She left her water jar. All right, you may think that's like a stupid detail. No, there's things, things are put there for a reason. What was her water jar? Her water jar was symbolic of that old life, of all of the broken cisterns and the, the going and striving and thirsty again. And what does she do? She, she leaves it behind. Symbolic that she's leaving behind all of those, that life of running after men, the finding satisfaction in them, her fear and her shame, and the fact that she's here all alone, isolated from the rest of the people. And she turns and goes back into town and she's now obsessed with someone, not all of her past husbands, or not her husbands, who she now obsessed with, but Jesus. And she reflects that turning by, by this completely new relationship to, to sin and, and the people around her. Now before, she was isolated, she was hiding from her sin and her shame. And now, what is she? She's openly proclaiming her sin. Like, hey, want to hear the story about him telling me all of my greatest sins 
as the, story, the summary story of my life? And announcing that to the whole town? Now, why? Because she's, she's abandoning her sin. The light has shone upon it. And now her sin is not proof of how ashamed and guilty and rejected she is. Her sin is now a, a testament to the forgiveness of Christ. And the grace and the power that he has to take a sinner like that and unite her to a holy God. And she is willing to, to put that before every person that she sees. The same woman who couldn't, who went all alone to the, to the well. Now that is a picture, that is a picture of repentance. Repentance is turning from love of sin, pursuit of sin, pursuit of death, broken cisterns, and turning towards obedience to God out of love for Christ. Now that turning has, has, has different aspects. We actually talked about in Sunday school last week that the heart changes about sin. You have this, this emotional change in, in how you, you feel about your sin. Now it might be that you, you used to love it and now you hate it. And you're grieved over it. Or maybe you, you thought that your sin was just a mark of shame and guilt, and now it's a, it's a testament of his grace. But like sin, the, the blessed thought that your, your sins would be forgiven. When you think of sin, you don't think of, of your death, you think of his grace. Or maybe your, your mind changes towards sin. You think about it differently. That you understand what it's doing. Or your will changes that you actually stop pursuing. That she stops going to that cistern again and again and again. She does different things now. Things that reflect love and commitment to Jesus Christ. Now what is happening? She is filled with the Holy Spirit. Waters are welling up inside of her, and they're being poured out of eternal life. Life express here and now. So, you see the difference. The disciples who are dry, who are self-protective, who are silent, and you have this woman who is open and giving, overflowing with life. Yes, like which, which one do you want to be? Which life do you want? Do you want the, the freedom of this woman that that can express her love and joy in Jesus Christ so openly, willingly? The disciples, they, they know they don't have that. Well, Jesus knows they don't have that. And as he sees it, he, he then turns from, from ministering to this woman. He realizes, you know what? I need to minister to my disciples too. And he invites them in. 
through yet another metaphor of, and it confuses them, but we, we get there. So, verse 31. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. He said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. The disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him someone to, something to eat? All right, so we're gathering the metaphors. First, we have birth, new birth. We've talked about living water, and now we have food. All of these things that feel very physical, and they're being given supernatural, spiritual meaning. Once again, the disciples, the, the people who hear it, they don't understand. They think it's physical. How did Jesus get, us, get food? We were supposed to go get him food. Why did we get him food if he was going to eat anyway? And Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. All right, a new, a new metaphor. And you'll notice that these things, they, they have different focuses. The new birth was something that would happen to you through the Spirit. And you'd be changed and become a new person. All right, there is the living water, which was a gift. A gift that he would give to you and would well up. And now this one, this one's odd because it seems like the food is something that you actively pursue yourself. That you go and obey and you are fed. We have to, okay, so Jesus is, fleshing out the metaphor, Jesus is sustained and given life by doing the will of God and obeying what the Father has told him to do. That obedience is a source of, of life for him, just like physical food is a source of life for us every day. That is his relationship to obedience and doing the will of God. Now, does that seem sound strange to you? Because we will talk about Jesus being the, the bread of life. And like, what? no, you need to eat Jesus. He's your bread. He's your food. So how then is obedience also food? Now, it could be that this is just, this is how Jesus does it. And that Jesus is sustained by obedience, but you are sustained by faith. That, that Jesus feasts on obedience, you feast on Jesus, and it's a, you know, eventually you'll get there. But it's a totally different relationship. All right. Now, we are saved by faith. We are saved by faith that works. And when we think about all these things, we can be way too nitpicky when, what is Jesus trying to say? Like, Jesus is trying to present to people a new life. A new life that includes rebirth. A new life that includes, like, the Holy Spirit's work in them. And a new life that then expresses itself in works and in obedience with this very new relationship to obedience. 
It's all one package. It's a package deal. And the disciples are talking about food and refusing to follow him in the ways that he is to imitate him. And so he combines those two things and gives it to them not to say, this is what I'm doing. He's inviting them to do the same. But actually, if you obey, it'll also be food for you. It'll be life for you. It'll be life-giving. A life of faith and works. Faith and obedience. And that life comes as we put our faith in Christ. Live out of that faith, following and imitating, doing what Christ has said. That's the relationship you feel like you have to obedience. That it nourishes you. That it sustains you. Right? Think about eating. You eat resentfully. You eat begrudgingly. <laughs> We're not even. <laughs> or you like you do like ah uh, it's 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 optional. No, like it's it isn't. It gives you life. And that's what Jesus is saying that, that obedience actually gives Jesus he gives him life. He's sustained by it and nourished by it. And life comes from obedience. All right, what might this look like? So uh. A picture of this in my own life the other day. All right. Uh, so I was doing, like, handyman stuff, which is my least favorite thing in the whole world. Um, and so I was frustrated and, like, getting angry and, like, snippy and uh, whatever you want to call it. All right. And I was miserable. The kids were miserable. Casey was miserable. And there's just misery all around. All right. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> this is typical. All right. And uh all right, and I, I like because we just talked about repentance, I was like, okay, like this is not this is not an option. And like I'm just going to be patient and like whatever about it. Like I'm gonna prioritize being patient and kind and like generous. All right. Now I thought I was going into it with like a suck it up mentality, and I, I did. But what was it? It became like this, it became life. And so it was like, oh, I don't have to be miserable. Like, no one cares. And I can be kind. Because like, there's no reason not to be. And like, the whole thing like went from like miserable to like good and fine. And we can enjoy ourselves. Like, it's fine. Now, if we understand that that's, that's what we're going to get out of obedience, then like, yeah, we should do that. It is life for us. It is life-giving for others. You have that relationship to obedience. Is obedience a, a gift that God gives to his people that they might walk in life? 
And I feel like we've bogged down obedience so much with like, well, no, you can't work for salvation. It's like, no, of course not. Like, no, we cannot raise ourselves from the dead. Christ did that. We have to, we have to do that only by faith. But then we able, are actually able to walk in life. And Jesus, he invites his people into that. Do not say there are four months, then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life. So the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, the sower, uh, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. So Jesus is saying, all right, there is this relationship with obedience, and it'll feed you and sustain you, and it'll be great. And thankfully, if you are fed by obedience to God, then go look out into the world, and you'll realize there is a harvest to be found. And it like, this is not a desert. This is one big field ripe for the harvest. Because God has made it that way. If you will just open your eyes. Now, uh, I have to ask you, are you, are you starving for meaning, for purpose? Are you starving to like feel like your life is about things and that it, it's filled with life? So as our culture has moved more towards like just self-pleasure, even psychologists have been like, oh, it leaves people really like broken and pointless and depressed because like their lives become meaningless and they are and what is the solution they offer they like say they need to love people and get responsibility and like have people depend upon them that's actually like healing to them and gives them purpose and meaning all right that's, that's secular people coming to realize God's reality. But actually, like, behind that is that people, like, we are made to, to obey and to find life in it. And that as we love and care for one another, as we're responsible to one another, as we sacrifice for one another, we will actually find life. Now, a picture of this. Uh, John Piper, he has this illustration, it's really helpful, call, uh, it talks about the Dead Sea. All right, so the Dead Sea, it's like the lowest point in the whole world, in the middle of a desert, and all of the water runs into it, but the thing is, it can't get out. There's nothing to, to help that water flow out of it, and so it just all gathers, and it becomes what? It becomes the Dead Sea, because all of the salt and all of the grossness comes in and never leaves. And so all the salt just gathers and gathers and gathers and concentrates 
and it never gets out, and it becomes this place of death. And that's where, if we are only filled and never pouring out, we become functionally dead. But it, it isn't like, wow, I just have so much life in myself. It becomes like, no, I become stagnant. And like drowning in it. That life, a Christian life without obedience is lifeless. That why would we try to separate faith and works when they, they go hand in hand? So, you look around yourself and you see a feast. You see a feast of obedience to, to be found. You see a feast of glory that could be given to God. Countless opportunities to find life. Instead of seeing people as burdens or as annoyances, you see those opportunities to, to express the life that you found in Christ. And to actually like see that life realize the very different relationship that we have to obedience. Walk in newness of life, that's what it But That could get you puffed up pretty fast. Like, look, look at all this obedience that I'm gathering. Look at all the life that I'm finding. And what does he say? I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. All right, behind this, what is actually happening? It's not that you have gathered all of this obedience for yourself. It is that God has prepared it in advance for you. And you are merely walking in it. In the words of Ephesians, it says something similar. Without all the metaphor... We are his worksmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This passage is saying, like, this life-giving obedience, the fruit that you are going to harvest, it's all God's. And he gives, he gives it as, like, welcoming the child into the orchard. And, like, look at all these apples I found. Yeah, Stephen's over here being like, yeah, they don't just come here. <laughs> they don't just appear overnight. Like, but they get to reap the harvest. And they go with excitement with all of this fruit. And like, that is, that is what God has done. He's prepared beforehand like all of this harvest of life and joy and says like, go get it, go walk in it because I have prepared it for you. Right? That is... That is what's happening. And as we see ourselves having opportunities to, to share the gospel and to, to encounter people who are hurting and need encouragement, people who are needy and need help, sinners who need to be forgiven, that these are joyfully low-hanging fruit that we get to take and enjoy and reap life from. That is obedience. That is, that is walking. 
that these things ultimately are once again given to God for his glorious working ahead of us, before us, and even in our hearts to be able to see this fruit that we would pick it. Now let's see, what's the, what's the final and lasting effect? Many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. We see the God who is sowing. We see Jesus, who reaps the harvest of just this one woman. We see this woman, in turn, harvesting fruit. And in her faithfulness, she is filled with life, but then she pours that life out upon this whole town. And the town then can enter into this life and in and the cycle of God's glory and life. And the message of Jesus' glorious grace compounds and rolls and life flows. Let us let us walk in that, that cycle. Let us let us enter into that joy. Let us think differently about obedience and what it looks like to love, proclaim Christ out of joy for what Jesus has done. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the life that you've given us in Christ by faith, and we thank you that that life expressed itself in obedience. Father, we ask that you would give us uh, righteous hunger and true palates. Father, we, uh, we can be fools, and we confess that we think of obedience as burdens and death and sacrifice because we are uh, still in our sin. And we are like the disciples who are, uh, who are still broken and idolatrous. And so, Father, we ask that you would change our relationship to obedience, that you'd make us long for, uh, for the life that you have given us in obedience and by works. Father, would you help us to express our faith in Christ? and our love for him, and our desire for his glory by actually doing the things that he calls us to. Father, would you give us eyes to see the harvest that you've set before us so we may walk in newness of life with you. In Christ's name.